And now, from Kensington Studios in Brooklyn, New York City, Music with the Doctors. Music with the Doctors is a discussion of the world's oldest art form with a new young perspective. We'll be taking a hypercritical look at all things music, from music theory to the theory of the music business and everything in between. So put on your cool cat hat and join the fun. So we're back live at Kensington Studios. I am resident Philip Rosenberg with Dr. Entergrau and Dr. Lucas Markham. Right on. And we're talking about we're talking about building bridges and we're not we're architects of a sort, um, different sorts. I'm sort of like a producer architect and they're musician architects. We have the same ideas, though, interestingly, even though uh, we're coming at it from slightly different angles. Like I really think about the marketing and I think about the visual aspects and stuff. But what were you so you were just making this great point uh, during the break while we were listening to that last tune yeah so what i was basically like bringing up was when when jazz became for jazz musicians or became this kind of you know music for musicians thing started in the bebop era when it became like an educational tool because before that it was really you know there were written out stuff but really was more of this is what i hear this is kind of you know we're we're a show band essentially you know we're going to a club like the Savoy and we're playing for dancers and that's and and jazz was very popular and all these old bebop guys played in those bands but then once the you know once it became this is music for us and they started teaching you know the progenitors of this Charlie Parker uh Thelonious Monk Dizzy Gillespie once they you know were were starting to wall themselves off from this popular music and doing bebop and teaching themselves, you know, all these new ways to approaching teaching other musicians how to do these things and became really concerned with all these, you know, I guess music music things. That's when it got away from the average listener. Because, you know, as much as we all love John Coltrane today, as much, I mean, I can't, like, John Coltrane is somebody I could listen to Giant Steps album a million times and never get bored with it because it's so amazing. When John Coltrane first started, nobody liked him. Everyone was like, your tone is too brash. You know, you're crazy. You're kind of just plain... Try, I don't get Solos it. Solos were too long. Yeah, it's like, I don't get it. And when someone says, I don't get it, that's when you've lost them and they're they're totally dead to jazz. And that's just uh, that's an unfortunate thing. You know, It's a difference between the musician insisting that the listener build the bridge to his music and yeah. the musician yeah, building the bridge... Well said to the listener himself which is something i try to do because you know i brought up i brought up about um you know taking old standards and revitalizing them um one of my favorite standards ever is a night in tunisia because that's really recognizable tune one and two it's just fun it's a great form to solo on it's just a really high energy tune and i put a backbeat to it and rearranged the melody a little bit so it kind of fits over a backbeat that was something that robert glasper did before me so robert glasper is one of those guys that's like that realizes you know my music's a little more trendy but i'm still gonna you know take some of the the tradition but you know update it and that's what i try to do with the grautet is update stuff that people know and when i choose standards to play either choose standards that are just fun and listenable like sunny or adam's apple and i take tunes like my funny valentine and night in tunisia and just make them a little bit more grasp you can grasp easier than you know this slow ballady you know kind of odd harmonic you know that's a great idea i think you should take 
a super slow jazz ballad like famous like uh, like uh, like around midnight which we actually do yeah and then and and then punk rocket like I mean, hit it hard sure we, we essentially we yeah, essentially like, put a backbeat like, to do it. the opposite and then find like just do the op just you know make it like opposite day for your next gig yeah you know what i mean and you know there's there is a certain thing we brought up how you know um we, we were talking about how in new york you're kind of walled off because of the tradition i think that's a good thing though you know, because there is only really one place in the world where you can go downtown and hear free music still. You can go uptown and you can hear 30s swing music. You can go midtown. You can hear, you know, big bands playing swing, like really good swing music, modern, you know, swing music. You can go to the Village Vanguard and hear, you know, this. You can go to the Blue Note and hear that. And you can, can hear... Bar Catalonia. You can Bar Catalonia hear the Markham handsome, group. Yeah. You can, you can just hear everything and all swaths of jazz history you can hear all of it and it's good that we have it but being caught up in just one style is bad as a jazz musician you like and i think that you you need to an old style especially if it's an old style because you know i i actually tell people that i am a bass player i'm not a jazz musician i am a bass player because i do so much and i play so much and i respect so much and walling myself off as a jazz musician i'm looked at differently and people especially like people that feel that they're inferior musicians treat me differently. And I'm like, no, I'm a bass player first. And I think jazz musicians should do that more. And, you know, I, I think without thinking they do it, cause you know, you hear a lot of jazz musicians take Broadway gigs. They take this, they take that gig, they do that. Um, but they need to approach themselves and the music that they create as this is music, not necessarily jazz. Can you guys, can I get you guys to improvise a bridge to our listeners right now? Do you think, yeah. what do you think? Sure. Yeah. Yeah? You want to do it? All right. So here's what we're going to do. Andrew, I'm so excited. Andrew and Luke are going to jump on the bass and the drums. Right now, they're just going to walk across Kensington Studio, a.k.a. my living room. And we're going to, uh, well, check it out. Check it out and see what they do. Yeah, I'm really excited.
We are back here at Kensington Studios in the lovely Kensington, Brooklyn. This is Music with the Doctors. I am Dr. Andrew Grau. I am Dr. Philip Ro- Resident, I should say. Resident Doctor. Philip Rosenberg. And we are here with Dr. Luke Markham. We actually just 
just played a little bit for you, which is the kind of the first time that transition has happened on this show. So, like I said in the beginning, Exciting. new things. Exciting. So we're gonna we're just gonna talk a little bit about it because we have a we have a few new segments to go over. Um, so, Luke, in your mind, was that kind of the bridge we were talking about? No, <laughs> and it, you know it's funny that we have just you know talked forty minutes about sort of making approachable music and then we get on there and and do something that's pretty free and and pretty uh out pretty intense now i'll say why i think that was but i'll also say why i think that was more approachable than if you had put other people in that situation yeah so the reason why that became so free is because one it was entirely unplanned (laughs) yeah two it was a very very unique instrumentation just bass and drums yeah. is, a, is a tough instrumentation to make something approachable. So Doable. already we're dealing kind of with that handicap. Yeah. And then you get two musicians that just love to play with each other thrown into the fire like that. And, and uh, you know, there's no audience here. As a result, we're going to kind of play to each other. I talked earlier about all of the different factors that go into improvised music. Yeah. The audience is one of them. If the audience is Andrew... Yeah. Then I'm going to play a certain way. And and I wonder if you felt the same. It's true. Now, that being said, I think if you were to put two totally different people who maybe aren't as conscious of of maybe the average listener in that situation, it would have been even crazier. Yeah. Because I think if you listen back to that, a lot of what I played would probably have been considered rock before jazz. Yeah. And there were moments of, uh, you know, where I was playing just basically straight up hip hop beats for a little while and some kind of drum and bassy stuff. But, uh, you know, if you were to put two just out guys in there, like uh, Ronald Shannon Jackson, rest in peace, he just passed away not too long ago, yeah. and Dave Holland. Yeah. Be you different. put those two there and, and it's just, it would have been even more chaos. Out. Like, yeah. That what we just did would have been to the average listener maybe a welcome relief and and sort of a, a tame thing. Yeah. Now also, uh, well, I should let you talk about how well, that was based in artists. I mean the yeah. So I tried to put something tangible in there because the there you know I I know it's not an excuse that I'm playing bass so I you know can't be melodic but you know there's certain there's a certain sound that I'm accustomed to from playing bass and i you know want to i want to have a lot of low end as well as like some kind of melody thing and my you know, personal favorite tunes is nardis by bill evans not written by miles it was actually written by bill evans was it now? Yeah, it was yeah because miles one time uh said you know on microphone as a recording where he's like and this is a great song written by bill evans nardis blah That's blah weird, blah because there's a video of bill evans saying it was written by miles yeah they both really did that scandalous scandalous crap no one wants it i'll take it yeah anyway so you know i wanted to add something tangible for people that were listening and you know it's kind of weird we talked about doing the bridge and it's just couldn't it's it's a lot harder and has to be a lot more planned out and this was a little more shooting from the hip um, but it was also fun because because there was so so much lack of instrumentation, it challenged me to kind of play a little bit differently than I normally would if this was a, a jazz, a, a, like a jazz or a rock kind of 
venue. This was just kind of free. Where could it go and how could it be interesting, you know, for me, interesting for Phil, you know, interesting for Luke and interesting, hopefully, for our listeners. So I'm sorry we gave a terrible example. No, um, well... I, but not a terrible I, example, but like, and it, we just spoke, we just harped upon it and I couldn't, couldn't give an example that I really wanted to, but it was a good, it well, was still like an example. here's something else to think about. You know, we talk about jazz as pop music or, or making a connection to the pop audience. It's always still, it's going to be jazz. Yeah, it always You're still making will be. Jazz, you know, this is never going to be as approachable as a Justin Bieber song. Yeah. It just won't. That's Isabel, by the way. If Hi, anyone like, just heard. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, you know, it, it's going to be approachable relative. When we talk about jazz making a bridge to the pop audience, I think, I, I don't want to speak for all of us, but when I talk about that, it's making a bridge to a pop audience relative to other jazz music. Yeah. So that's why I bring up the Dave Holland, Ronald yeah. Shannon Jackson example. Yeah. That was still out, what we played. Yeah. That was still maybe a little intimidating for a rock listener. or But, you know, you throw that to a jam band fan. They'd be like, whoa, They bro. might like it. Whoa. That could talk to someone more than, like, if we just sat there and, and just walked over... Some standard. That lame. Nobody would have liked that except a, liked that. a jazz bass player. Right. Neither of us would have liked it. And, and shit. you know, the only people that would have liked it would be, you know. I feel like I feel like there are three ways to get there in building that bridge. And and, and there's probably way more than three, but it, I think these are the three things that pop into my head immediately. One is either fuse stylistically jazz and another mm-hmm. form that is currently in pop. Two is to take a currently pop tune and jazz it up, and three is to take a jazz tune and pop it up. You know what I mean? Fair. I don't see any other three ways. So I think if you build the bridge, if you're trying to build the bridge yourselves as musicians, is there another? Can you think of another avenue other than those three? Ooh, um, well, I mean, I don't know. That's that's a great question. I would say that if you're thinking about if you're thinking about it compositionally. Like it, because the goal is to not have to pop up a jazz tune or or jazz up a pop tune. The goal, like to really that that bridge is made when original jazz compositions are being appreciated by a pop audience. Yeah, that's that's what it is. And and how do you get there? So that's where we. Yeah, and it's like as much as much as you know, I could go home and I could write a really great jazz arrangement of um, "Toxic" by Britney Spears. I'm a nobody, and I'm going. I love to, that. That's the choice you made. <laughs> I, listen, I'm also. I'm gonna go on record. I actually like Britney Spears. I thought before Woo! she before before she had kids with Kevin Federline, she was really talented. Did she kids together. Yeah, her and Kevin K. Fed had two oh, kids. Oh, you know goodness. that. No, oh God, I'm not often my Britney Spears. No, Britney Spears. She had a really great voice, and she was. You know, un- she was pretty good looking, and you know, she did it right. So, like, I'm not gonna. So, even if I go home and make a great arrangement of, um. Britney Spears and I bring it and we play it in the Markham group we're nobodies they could know it and they'd appreciate it but it's not like I'm going to go play the Village Vanguard and do that and if I did play if I did have a gig at the Village Vanguard I sure as hell would bring that because I'd be like look you know this is something cool I can do but I'm a nobody so as much as I want to do it there needs to be I guess more action by the higher ups in the jazz community but then again the old cats they don't want to do that but that goes into one of the three categories that phil already gave so what i'm trying to think is how do you because i all i can think of is if you're doing an original composition you make it based in rhythm first yeah melody second harmony third i think i think i the only the only the only example that i can have 
at least of, of one of my compositions that has universally been really accepted and ha- is featured in YouTube videos and stuff is my original tune, Acrylic Soul. So, right. Because it's, cause it's rhythmically very fun to listen to. Exactly. It's harmonically really easy to grasp, and it's catchy as heck. Now, so here's my question to you. Do you consider that a f- that song, and if you guys haven't heard it, go check it out on, on Bandcamp or SoundCloud, Grautat. It's, sound, it's SoundCloud, yeah. Um, Acrylic Soul. Do you consider that song a fusion of jazz and as phil said uh, a genre that's popular now maybe hip-hop yeah i absolutely see you it as a consider- i absolutely it's you know i absolutely see it as that and i intentionally wrote it that way um because i wrote it at a i wrote it at about 120 bpm which is essentially the pretty standard yeah. you know rock beats, the default that. rock yeah, beat. yeah beats per minute um, for those of you that yeah don't know right that. beats per minute and i intentionally made the chord progression pretty repetitive easy to grasp not a lot of off notes and i even kind of let the bridge the bridge technically only has like the melody only has one note so that the listener can be like, okay, that's cool. Like this repeated note in rhythm, that's actually just kind of, I can really listen to that. I've heard that song actually. Yeah. It does. I think it does. Uh, it enters the pop realm. I think it does. Yeah. yeah. Do you consider it, Phil, a, a, a fusion of, like it, would you, when you gave those three categories, would you consider that one in the fusion Definitely. category? Yeah, you yeah. would. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think in order to achieve, um, so maybe he just covered all the bases. Yeah, maybe to in, in order to in order for for like something like Acrylic Soul to be accepted, I guess in the annals of pop, is overexposure, and it's kind of already doing that because you know my my roommate is he was working on his video editing. He also edited one of Luke's videos. You can check it out on his website AnthonySylvester.info, yep. and there's a live video of us recording that as well as the audio. Um, Anthony, when he, he he approached me about using my music on his videos just as like um as like an intro and outro, he immediately went to acrylic song and was like, "This song sounds like New York," and he did uh, this like a, a how to guide on the MTA, and he said that like this is like the New York song, like this feels like New York, this sounds like New York, and when put at the back in the backdrop, there is New York, it's perfect. And I don't know if I intentionally did that, but having that and have somebody who you know likes jazz and you know likes my music just say that though was still like okay, like he didn't say this is a great jazz tune. He said this is a New York song. That is, I guess, that's a high I was, compliment. I think, and yeah. I and, yeah. and I absolutely love it. And I'm sometimes you know when you write something and then it's just appreciated like that, you know, I still can't believe I wrote that. And it took me an hour to write. I, I'm so wonderful. No, it's like not even like I'm so wonderful. I literally wrote it in one hour. I just one hour of writing and it was done. And I didn't have to change it. Didn't have to do anything. It just happened that way. And then it just came out that way. Is that way. very different than your usual process? Yeah, normally it takes me a little longer. But I have these rare occurrences where an idea pops into my head. And then an hour later, there's music. Um, and we're trying to do... Actually, in the Markham group... I've been writing stuff that I'm trying that we you know have to rehearse obviously, but it's like that same kind of it's very approachable by the average listener, but it's still really musically fun for us. That's sort of the goal of this group when I started it, which is why I'm so glad that we've spent so much time talking about this right now because yeah. that's really what why I wanted to have a jazz group was to sort of make music that could be liked by jazz fans and not non jazz fans. So now I want to ask you this. Uh-huh. You bring up the video that Anthony Sylvester did. It was of a, a composition of mine called Tug Hill, which I think is very, very approachable. Yeah. But I don't know what I don't know if that's fused with anything else. No, that's at that That might just be 
I'm just I'm trying to think ever since Phil brought it up. But there's more ways. Let me let me expand on my own idea and yeah. say that there's more ways to fuse jazz and the other form. It doesn't necessarily. Here's the tricky thing: have mm-hmm. to be fusion with another form of music. It could be fusion with another medium like visual, like video. So if you have a funked out jazz tune, but that came with the whole packaging and style that the Britney Spears does or the Michael Jackson Mm. used to, then you have another way of engaging popular culture. Totally. I guess I should have been more specific. Um, Even just the audio. I'm I'm speaking only musically when I say this. Because that's another interesting point that you bring up right there is, yeah, we're talking about, okay, with our ears, with listeners' ears, how do you guys make music that will engage mm-hmm. pop, pop culture? It's more than just... The answer to that is, it's more than just their ears. It has to also be their eyes. It has to be fashion. Totally. Huge. Because pop culture, if you think about what it is when the listeners, they go to concerts, it's like they're part of a fashion statement. There's a certain clothing, hairstyles, there's ways of being and talking that you get from it. And think about what like rap did to culture. Like yeah, what, it, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's a great point. You have a whole crew, thousands, millions maybe, of people that insist they are now thugs as a result. <laughs> you know, even white kids from the burbs, you know what I mean? Yeah, the, they, they hood. That's a great point though, because you think about even, you think about the culture of a jazz show and it's not appealing to the average, like let's say your audience is 20-somethings. The average jazz show is boring for 20 something. Absolutely. No visual component is right. the thing. No Rarely. visual component, no no real uh, unless stage you've presence. Got, unless you've you know? got your front man. I have seen, I saw a great jazz show not too long ago, and I can't remember who it was. The bassist actually was the front man, which was a rare thing. And there were no vocals, but this guy, I wish I could remember his name. This was like four years ago on Valentine's Day, had so much energy and smiled through the whole gig, and he was so good, and he was like, the bass stood still, and he just danced around it. Awesome. It was, it was truly incredible, yeah. and it was jazz, and the whole, everyone was just, you know, you couldn't not feel it. But that, I think, is rare, and that is only good for live performance. Totally. Where's the, you know, where's the YouTube video? Where's the narrative that you get a lot of, like, country music? My little girlfriend and my right? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And you can yeah. paint the picture in your head with those words. Well, you know, I, it's funny. Luke brought up, you know, uh, 20-somethings find... You know, jazz shows not really interesting, but you know, it, there's the the word and the the type of people that have been thrown around a lot in Brooklyn, especially as hipsters, right? Jazz listeners and jazz appreciator, like people that appreciate jazz and jazz musicians themselves, they're hipsters. If you think about it, they like music that hmm. was cool that they that was cool way before it ever became like popular now they listen to music that nobody else listens to they're really cultish they all dress kind of a certain way this whole all in black kind of i'm very cool but i'm also very sophisticated they wear funny hats i mean jazz musicians are essentially hipsters but they're you know jazz hipsters so do hipsters listen to jazz though is that what they listen to believe it or not there's a lot of hipsters that Some love jazz yeah. like there's a lot of like right, people that you're right that it is dead it's something that is kind of they, cool to go back and when we were cool when we were playing in brooklyn the guy that was interviewing us avi was a really great guy but you know he's a like a freelance photographer and blogger and you know he definitely dressed the part if i would have just seen him on the street being like oh he's a hipster but you know i got to meet him. he's a really great guy he wasn't kind of a jerk and he just loves jazz i mean he loved jazz i'm like yeah there's you know or when you sometimes when we play out i'll see these these guys you know the horn-rimmed glasses the the clarks the flannel and they're just and the tattoo and you know but they're just like really digging jazz so jazz is like they're like hipsters but uh, jazz people right now the average jazzist jazzist is like hipsters without the fun parts yeah they're boring most of them are 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 
introverted kind of nerdy they just want to get up on stage and and stare at the floor while they play while they virtuosically you know yeah. play their trumpet and that's great for someone that plays trumpet and and appreciates that but man you really brought up a, a great point with just man I, I i would love to see a day where jazz shows are like punk shows man i would love to see that i would love i grew up believe it or not in a hardcore rock scene in Auburn, New York, had a, a fairly yeah, man, and the music was god awful. It was so bad, but you didn't go for the music. You went because you danced around, and it was crazy, and it was fun. And now imagine and, putting good music with that whole right, scene, right, man? And I that's mean, just, yeah. Not, well, do you know what? Because like I like I brought up way before, jazz used to be popular, and people used to dance to it, and then they took it away from the dancing, right. And they put it into art, right? When people started sitting down. For jazz, that's when it became an art and yep. not became it wasn't right. a popular music. It wasn't. So, I mean, I think it'd be cool if the Markham Group if we could get like a visual show. If we actually like booked or it, and you get like just, a little visual like thing. Even just make it fun. Just make make the gig not so uptight and so you know yeah. like that. I mean, that's kind of what was beautiful about this gig on Wednesday. The the Hoover Dam Collective oh, yeah. thing. It wasn't a jazz show. It was yeah. totally an indie rock like do it yourself kind of underground Brooklyn show, and that it was such a a yeah. cool environment and, and, and you know, people were digging it because of that well but we're gonna get to uh two new segments but i'd like to close out the interview by uh by having luke shamelessly plug himself and everything he does and everything he works for so oh man luke, plug yourself all right here we go uh well obviously we've talked <laughs> that a sounds lot kind of nasty right <laughs> uh, plug yourself baby <laughs> well so we <laughs> we've talked a lot about my group markham group uh Again, we play every Tuesday at Bar Catalonia in Times Square. Um, you can go to my website, which is just lukemarkham.com. That's got uh, video and audio of me playing in various groups. It's got my upcoming schedule, contact information for lessons. Uh, we're going to be recording with that group soon. I've also got an indie rock group called Fort Vine, which our album is just about done. We're doing the final mixing in about two weeks. That's scheduled for an early December release. Uh, that's on Facebook, uh, slash Fort Vine, on Twitter, at Fort Vine. We've got a band camp. We just had a really successful Kickstarter campaign, which was great. Um, How much did you make on the Kickstarter campaign? Uh, the goal was 3000 and or 3333 but Kickstarter takes 333 of that. We blew it out of the water. We really, I mean, I think nice. when all is said and done, it's going to be pretty close to five thousand which is wow awesome so that's covering. very impressive young skywalker yeah that was great <laughs> that was awesome um and then i i would be amiss to not plug the after school program which i do on fridays at ultrasound studios called come join the band uh come join the band.net i believe is the website or you can email me about that it's a really great school of rock style program we get a lot of little kids together and break them up into bands and we teach them musical skills and how to bring those skills into songwriting and there's a big concert at the end of the year and it's really it's a great ultrasound is that uh, 30 like is like F by fit kind of yeah yeah 30th and uh 30th between 7th and 8th is that huge building with a bunch of studios yeah in? yeah, yeah it's got across a from uh yeah, yeah right by all that good music shop over there um yeah. so yeah that's come join the band feel free if you got any little guys that are that are looking to get into rock music it's a great program really safe environment really supportive good good talented teachers we've got one of the bases from Blue Man Group is in there. We've got, you know... The best uh, way to get in touch with you, you just want to repeat that part, because we're talking about a lot of stuff. There. If people want to get in touch with you and find out all this stuff specifically, how to get you as a teacher, for example. The best way in in, uh, in any 
for any reason to get a hold of me is lukemarkham.com. There's a contact form right on there. That's for, for lessons, for cool. studio appointments, for just about anything that you need me to do. Go to lukemarkham.com. And, uh, right on. Yeah. All right, well, thank you for joining us today, totally. Luke. Thank you, Luke. Can I stick around for the segments, or do I have to? No, go? you know, you can you can stick around for the segments. <laughs> no, you got to yeah, go, yeah. man. <laughs> get get them out, out the window. <laughs> right. So we're going to be back with uh, a new segment that's going to be a new thing. It's called "On This Day in Music History." Right. This is music with the doctors here at Kensington Studios. We'll be right back.
right, this is Music with the Doctors, and I'm Dr. Andrew Grau here with our segment on this day in music history. Just filling you in on what happened uh, November 9th. This is the day we actually recorded this. On November 9th, this was when John Lennon met Yoko Ono for the first time. And then history, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, killed the Beatles. And that was in 1966. Also, in 1967, the next year on this date, the first Rolling Stone magazine ever was published in San Francisco, coincidentally enough, with John Lennon on it. Also, in 1968, this was when Led Zeppelin played the first ever London show that they appeared at. First ever Led Zeppelin show in 1968. Also, in 1974 on this date, Bachman Turner Overdrive went number one with, what else? You ain't seen nothing yet. Also, Prince on the New Power started with a two-week run at number one in the U.S. charts with Cream and at number 15 in the U.K. So, that's been on this day in music history. There's lots of other things, but you can always just Google that. Why not? But this has been your snippet of On This Day in Music with Music with the Doctors. I'm Dr. Andrew Grau.